With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the latest episode from Walls Fancast. Um, as ever, uh, we're recording this on the evening um, after the game today as Walls suffered another derby heartache as we lost 3-2 in today's lunchtime fixture against West Brom. It doesn't sound any easier reading that out, but that's where we are. And, you know, all pods are difficult after a defeat and none more so than against our arch rivals as well. However, we're here to discuss what went down today, uh, the hows, the whys, and from here. So to go through those points, we've got Luke, we've got um, Rich, and we've got Gully. Um, We'll dig deep in because virtually I'm looking across at three guys who I know will have a lot to say and a lot to get off our chest today. And there's a lot to talk about and cover. Um, but we'll, we'll start at the beginning, as we always will do. So Nuno made a couple of changes. I think in the um, days leading up to this fixture, Adama was obviously a key name that we were keen to get um, back into the side, as was Bolly. So both were introduced. Um, if I come to yourself first, Luke, if we take us back to just after, I guess, half 11 today, what were your initial reactions on the team as it was announced today? I thought it was probably one of the best teams that we could have we could have picked today. Um, I I had literally zero qualms with with how we went. No issues with the personnel or the shape or the system. Um, it was very very refreshing to see Bolly back. Um, I for one was really glad that Bolly was back in the lineup and. Fantastic to see Traore back because I was a bit concerned after he missed the game in the week as to whether he'd be fit for this one. And I thought Traore would have been key to that. Hindsight is a great thing, but um, I, I did think he would have been key for this game today. And also, after the Everton game, it was positive to see Neto in the lineup as well. Uh, watching the training videos on YouTube yesterday, well, last night, I couldn't see Neto in any of the videos and I thought, oh, here we go. That knocks probably worse than first feared and he's going to miss the game. Um, so, I, I mean, me personally, I don't see how how, how else he, he could have lined up. Maybe 
Petrone for Silva, possibly. Um, but no, from when I saw the lineup, really positive. Yeah, let's go. Let's kick off now and, and crack on. Richard, for yourself, similar sentiments to, to Luke, um, as, as Luke referenced, really. Um, and we'll talk about Bolly and the part he had to play in, in Adama, as Luke will pick up in terms of his performance. But if we take it back to where we were earlier today, what were your thoughts when the team was announced? Um, strangely, not not same as Luke in a way, but I, I saw it and it struck me as we had probably our best 11 players on that football pitch, but not in the best formation. Um, and, and the big sticking point was Sace. And when I saw sort of the official lineup, and I I feel really old man when I say this, but I'm not a fan of when they, you know, they seem to be sort of playing around with the lineup on that graphic, but the, the official release, which clearly isn't going to be how they line up. So I had Neto at left wing back. And you know what? It was a bit of fun they're having, like to try and, you know, muddle around, up, fine, whatever. But Sace has done really well at centre-back this season. He has arguably been our player for the season. Behind Neto, maybe, he's definitely top three. Where he has not done that well this season is at left-back or at left-wing-back. That is not where his strengths are. And to see him play in that position, I very, very much got to question Aitnori. I know he played the, the game against Everton, but he was on the bench. And... That was a bit of a concern for me going in. Going forward, we had our, our strongest attacking lineup, I'd say. We had our, um, I, I guess, our standard regular free midfield, which is definitely a talking point coming out of today's game in terms of how impactful or lack thereof Matinho, Neves, then Donka were. But that, that sort of left back area is a bit of a cause of concern for me. And the fact that Cody didn't have a great game alongside it the system didn't quite work for me it felt with Sace there it was very much square pegs in round hole and it didn't necessarily need to be in my eyes and I guess the only player we haven't really touched on there uh Gully in terms of from um a change from the previous game against Everton was was Gibbs White we know Gibbs White would you have started Gibbs Gibbs White in that midfield or do you think that was sort of fair to go with I guess a tried and trusted sort of middle three as they were no, I think I think if, if you look at it, you might make a minor tweak here or there, but realistically, that was probably as strong as we could have gone. I personally, um, in my preview of the game, advocated going to about five just because we haven't been that solid recently and, and decide to go a goal behind almost in every game at the moment, which uh, wasn't a trend that changed. But, um, you know, I think size at left back was more to do with the fact he just wanted size in there as a as an extra aerial you know, threat or you know defensive option just because we don't have that much size in the team and you know it, it goes back to that game against Burnley where he added Otisawi into the team which you know fitted him into you know square peg round hole again where how much of a game is played in set pieces really um, you know as a percentage maybe. 30% of the game comes down to, you know, dead balls and stuff like that. So if you're dictating your lineup about what's going to happen 30% of the time, it feels a little bit, um, well, we all know what Nuno is. He's safety first. He's very reactive. He's very much looking to stop what the opposition are trying to do. And if you're playing 
West Bromwich Albion, who prior to this had scored six goals in 14 games, I think it was, worrying about their attacking threat just felt a little bit like overkill in that sense. Um, and I'm sure we'll come on to you know the fact that we really didn't uh, do ourselves justice defensively in the end anyway. No, and I think you're right, Glenn, as you say, I think we'll definitely talk about the formation as this pod goes on. I think that will come out because I think that's a key talking point. And I know that's something that you'll pick up as well um, when you do your post sort of brief on Gully's tactical analysis. Quick plug for that as well. Part of the content that we're tuning out at the moment is fantastic. Um, and yeah, I guess for me, for, for, for Says, it kind of felt that, as you say, there was we knew it was Sam Allardyce. We knew what type of team that we'd come up against. But you'd like to think we'd perhaps back ourselves more than perhaps we, we did. So I, I concur on that. But digging into the game, so um, it didn't take long for really the first of one of the biggest talking points of the game. And that was eight minutes, I believe, um, into the game um, when Pereira took the penalty away. What led to that penalty decision? Luke, I'm going to come to you first because I. Another shout out for Insta Live, which we're doing a lot of this season, and I heard your thoughts on that at half time. But if you want to share, what were your thoughts on the penalty that was was given? Um, my thoughts were when I saw it in real time, I thought penalty. Yeah, can't argue with you. When watched the replay, outside the box, outside the box. Um, obviously, there's the argument: is it on the line? I'm still going to take outside the box. And is is there a sort of regulation to how many millimetres a line has to be on a pitch? Because if not, I'll just have the finish line possible. <laughs> That's why I all debate then. Because it, it, it's ridiculous. It's, so you blame the groundsman for a little bit of a, a brush stroke. Too heavy. Yeah. And it's, yeah. <laughs> exactly who I'm blaming and that's where the, the lie blows because we're not allowed to blame Nuno for anything are we according to some sections of the support so the, the blame has to fully fall on the groundsman's shoulders on that one and the thickness of his white lines but um, no seriously it's it's a harsh one but at the same time the ref's given it and you've got to crack on with the game it, it is what it is um, I mean are we going to just focus on this one or am I allowed to sort of yeah, we'll, we'll we'll move on to the handball, which 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 came shortly after. But I'm just interested from from Rich and, and Gully if they saw that penalty any differently, or if they had any any comments on that decision as well. I mean, it, it's what part you want we want to break down. If we're talking about Bolly's actions in it, it was arguably soft, but it was silly. And if you just sit on the halfway line, there's no real question about it. I think. It, it, it's very close. And of course, as we all probably found out nine minutes into a game, being, you know, if a foul happens on the line, it's a penalty. Now, I've, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to tangent here. I find that interesting because if it's a goal or the ball's going out of play, it needs to cross the line to, for it to count. And I I don't, it, it almost feels like, you know, if you ever played in like a five side league and there's always like obscure rules which don't quite make sense. Like if a goalie picks it up, it's a free kick, but he leaves the box. It's a penalty sort of thing. And it's, it kind of struck me as I just find it a bit weird. I guess with the same way we have offsides and it is going down to that sort of minutiae, which let's be honest, 
we all find a bit frustrating and it kind of can kill a joy out of the game, but I guess with boots on the other foot, so you know, why why not be a bit petty about it? Um if it's if the thing that they are analysing is whether it is inside or outside of that box and you know, where it is in relation to the edge of that white line, I think that's very hard to tell if that's actually happened in the box, personally. Can I, can but, I, just, throw, can I just throw something in there? Um, offside, you can't be offside in your own half, can you? No. no. So how can you be the other side of a white line and it be a penalty, but then the other side of a white line, you're not offside? So we can take the ball away. So obviously with a goal, if any of the ball is that side of the white line, no goal. No throwing. Um, if you're offside, but you're sort of goal side of the white line, it's not offside, is it? So then why does it turn into a penalty when you're sort of defensive goal side of the box on the line, sort of not crossing the line? So you're saying like on like a goal line technology, the whole of the ball's got to be over. So you're saying that wouldn't be given in that sense. So I think I think yeah. I think there, I think there needs to be some consistency there. So, it's, it, it come, it's come down to now the fact that where with goal line technology, it's whole ball over the whole of the line. So this would have to be whole player over the whole of the line to be in the box. Yeah. Is that what yeah. you're suggesting? Yeah. Or, at least for, or at least for contact to be across the other side of that line, I guess. And yeah. I don't know, like, I, I feel like we're probably not... Um, talking about what is probably the main talking points, but I think it's an interesting point in terms of the rules yeah. of the game. But I think, we, well, you know, we, we define the outside of the pitch by the outside of that line, not the inside of it, like in rugby yeah. or in American That's football. That's totally true. That's, I mean, my mantra on this kind of stuff, to be honest, is be so good that refereeing decisions don't impact your football match. That's yeah. bottom line. That's bottom line. But when it's a matter of fact like this, and having watched it a couple of times, to my mind, Callum Robinson... At no point is he actually inside the box. I think Bolly might make contact or the ball might be in the box or something like that. But Callum Robinson doesn't appear to be stood anywhere but the other side of the, of the line. And for a matter-of-fact decision like that, you know, when it comes to offsides, they really are quite particular about where they're placing lines, you know, how they, how they look at it and where they're measuring from. For a matter-of-fact decision, it didn't feel like they took enough time to actually judge that for me. Because it Were they judging on whether it was just a penalty then? It was just it, a position. On... Well, they give the foul, and I don't think there's any arguments about no. the foul. No. It's just about the position of the the foul, and they didn't take the time, I think, to actually make the judgment properly. I think this is the thing, and it's you know you have subjective decisions, you know, and, and interpretations. But this is this is clear, you know, you're either in or you're not, and and I think to, to Gully's point, and I'm sure we'll all agree on that when we when we dig even deep to the game, that this isn't an excuse. This is just, but you have these are key points, and we'll go on to the next one in a moment, where you know they have to be right, and ultimately you've got that in play to make the decisions right. Yes, it was clumsy, it was reckless, folly, whatever he was doing, I don't know, but. To, to, to my mind, the only point Robinson was got into the box was after the challenge. It seems quite simple that if your initial challenge is outside of the box, it's a free kick. Oh, you know, let's take um, if Robinson was on the halfway line and the same um, the same amount of millimeters away from the white halfway line as he was the eighteen yard box, and um, Bolly brought him down. 
he wouldn't be offside, would he? Because he's still in his own half. But let's say if he was over the line and Bolly brought him down, it wouldn't be a free kick because it would initially be offside, wouldn't he? So yeah, I, yeah. I just don't, I just, I just, for the life of me, I don't understand it. And what blows my mind the most is the referees, they're sort of in this, you know what they're like? They're acting like police at the football matches when you cannot have a conversation with them and you can't question them. And not even in a snotty or arsy way, but you can't have that debate because it's just, no, it's at arm's length all the time. No, mm. you cannot have this debate with us. We've got these rules, even though they don't make sense, and there's a lot of questioning that needs to be had around them. But not even just the referees, but the FA, they've got a lot of questions to ask for, and I don't want this to turn into a rant about VAR because this game is, is bigger than VAR. And I don't want it to come across like, oh, well, they've lost to Albion, so they're using VAR as an excuse because that's, that's no. not the purpose of this argument. It's just there's still a heavy debate needed around the laws of the game and how the refs and the video assistant referees are implementing the rules and win, lose or draw, that's a fact. Yeah, we, we can't we can't not talk about this because th- th- these these are key points. The reason, you know, you, you can argue and, and, and rightly so that it wasn't the defining, you know, and we'll come into is the is the game progress, we'll see where things went wrong. But just and then I think to, it, it's just the fact that it's just the arrogance sometimes of these refs that there's no engagement, is that it was just like he ain't gonna change his mind. But Luke referenced and, and it was it was it was shortly after, which again could, in the context of the game, have made a huge decision. Kieran Gibbs, handball, who wants to take that one up first? He, caught, he nearly caught the ball. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. Because it's, you know, I don't... I know he didn't make his body bigger. Has I, anyone I, ever heard Peter Walton go against a decision? Oh, no, that pissed me off today, that did. That proper pissed I probably me. haven't watched enough games to know, but... If anybody's heard, I'd love to see a tally up of whether he ever goes against a referee because it's shocking how bad he is, like in terms of you know siding with him. Honestly, you know what? about that today, that decision hasn't been given, and Peter Walton has said, "Oh, the referee's decision is the correct one." A very, very similar incident will happen next week, and a penalty will be given, and Peter Walton will again say the referee's <laughs> <laughs> What's so frustrating? Like, oh my God, you do not understand. <laughs> I would love an hour or two in a room with Peter Walton or any referee and just have the conversation with them about the way the rationale behind their thinking. Because I'm, I'm fearing for their safety at the moment, too, honestly. Luke, if you it, decide to get into a room, I'll, I'll use an example. I can't remember. <laughs> Luke, Luke and the Waltons. It's <laughs> 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 the Walton household. Someone here to see you, Pete. <laughs> There was a handball given um, of, I think it was Tottenham v Brighton, but I might be wrong. It was definitely Tottenham and it involved Eric Dyer. Now, a, a ball came out, came in, it went over Dyer's head, he's gone for the ball and the ball's been headed against the back of his arm and the ref's yeah. given a penalty. Yeah. Now, if he's not looking at the ball, how can that be a penalty? And then the Kieran gives one's not when he's actually used two hands and bearing in mind the Eric Dyer one hitting cars to his shoulder at the top of his arm. He's used the palm, the actual palm of both of his hands. He's fighting the ball. He it's can both hands, the ball. Both hands. And 
His hand, you do actually see a slight movement of his hands as well. The ball touches not one palm, two, <laughs> two palms, two hands, two palms <laughs> of his hand, and the ref. And you know what? I can I can even excuse the ref and say, "All right, you don't see." But when VARs looked at it, oh my god! Like, how does it make sense? Now, if somebody can make it make sense, I'll be forever grateful. I mean, until I, it blow yeah. my mind. The the only thing I would say, Rich, and I don't, is because um, I'm going to come to you to get your your view on it as as well. Um, the rationale I don't agree with it, by the way, is he didn't have enough time to get it out of the way. It, it came in too quick. I'm not saying I agree, but that 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 I'm guessing could be the only reason. You know, he, he you know he's he's gone that way, and then it's the frustrating part. Well, I say, well, early, earlier in the season that would have been given. Because they've obviously changed their sort of view on it. That doesn't help anything. Say, but, you know. Yeah, so two points. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the, well, I, I don't know. It, the, it happened within this game, so I'll concentrate on what happened in this game. But I, I've played enough football. I've watched enough football. We all have here. Apart from when you're playing goal, I don't understand why you'd have your hands in that position. I don't know what he is trying to achieve. It has not been whipped up. It's not been like crossed at him like uh, the Kilman one. I, I, ironically, I'm now bringing up an incident where I've said I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's not like the ball's been drilled at him from five yards away. Mm. It has been from a drop catch by the goalkeeper and he is underneath it. I don't understand why his hands need to be there. Therefore, it's kind, It's an unnatural position because he's tried to catch the ball with two hands. It's... I'm astounded that it wasn't given, unless they thought it was. Yeah. Unless they thought it should be at Anfield because he's Alex Oxlade Chamberlain. I have no idea. Gully, you're a cricket man. He was in the slips then, wasn't he? Basically, near <laughs> enough. Near enough. Honestly, um, and to be honest, it was a bad drop. Then, if that's the case, yeah. it's an absolute dolly. Um, but I, part of, was this at one nil? Because if yeah. that's the case, yeah. Yeah. it's a moot. It's a moot point because if we recall, guys, we actually went ahead in the game. <laughs> I was going to say, we still, honestly, the way I see it is, what, how far are we into recording this? We're 21 minutes in and we're about 10 minutes into the game so far. Well, that's how the game went. No, to yeah. have two, two big points with, within the first uh, t- 10 minutes. But as, as you say, I mean, you know, we can talk about it, it, the impact it has, but th- these are points which they are going to piss off. They are going to grate. And if we don't talk about it, someone's saying, hang on, why don't you mention the handball? So... No, I think in the context of the game, it wasn't the overarching reason. What, what you know, and we got into the game, and, and and moving on to that, that we got into the game on the 38th minute from from Fabio Silva. Now Luke mentioned Catroni earlier um, because it was kind of you know a split opinion. I think if Silva was going to play this game or Catroni was going to come in, I, I didn't think he would play Sil- Silva. Um, but, you know, we can talk about his performance, but he redeemed himself, certainly, on, on that goal. What yeah, are your thoughts, uh, uh, Jensen? Because, I mean, ultimately, it was a well-taken goal and, and led to a, a very good performance. I think that the composure that he showed in front of goal was absolutely fantastic. Um, and also, I've questioned his physicality, but he did really well to hold off the defender, showed a bit of strength. Obviously, he could have snatched at that with all the talk and, and the pressure that's been put onto his shoulders. But he showed immense composure for me and, and it was the signs of a natural goal scorer. Um, and I was really happy for him. You know, 
good goal and, and one that we thoroughly deserved. I was, uh, yeah, I think the genius of the goal was Bolly's little touch. Yeah. Um, in the middle of the set, in the middle of the box, how many players would just try and swing a leg at it and hit a head, give it, stick it towards goal? Because that's generally what you try and do from that kind of distance. But really, really nice a, a bit of awareness from him, to be fair. And um, you know, so pleased to see that. Like, you know, he's it's it must be so tough. You know, when when you've come into this kind of situation, he has been thrown at the deep end. Uh, what I will say is, if he didn't pull that away. Um, you'd be asking some serious questions of him, um, but you know, fair play to him. He, he's he's done the business on that one, and uh, I think you could see it gave him an, a, an absolute massive boost. And the rest of his performance, as a result, just looked like the player that you think he could be and will be, and probably will be even you know better beyond what he showed today. It looked like a weight was off his shoulders, didn't it, Rich? As Gully was saying, he looked like that pressure had all come off. You know, from that point on, I thought he was a different man. Yeah, I think I saw um, one of us guys in the group chat say it was like he was told what this game meant to fans, and he just gave his all. And at the end of the day, that's what you want from a fan. You want to see them most players get in front of their man, make themselves a nuisance. If you're not going to do anything else, want to make sure he's got the effort to, you know, carry on and really drive the game forward, which is what we've been missing a lot of the time this year. Um, you know, it, it was, I thought it was a really good, well-taken goal. I think Goody sort of summed it up really nicely where, you know, you'd be hammering if he missed it, but it wasn't necessarily like an easy, like, you know, six yard tapping. I think he did what you'd want a established striker to be doing. Um, and I was hey, he carried it on throughout the game for me. And fingers crossed, that's a sign of things to come. No, absolutely. I think you know, a coming of age performance in a really disappointing result and, and performance overall. Just, just another point on, on Fabio as well. I think. What Nuno says a lot in his post-matches about him is, you know, you focus on your tasks so that's, and, you know, don't really get too wrapped up in the scoring of the goal. And to be fair, what I saw from him today was with his back to goal, he was holding up the ball a lot better. Those little things that allow you to build play up into the game. And I think that's where he really needs to improve. I think if you put chances on a plate for him like he had today, he probably will score. Um, but the bits that be missing is that, He's been coming too deep for the ball. He's been losing it. He hasn't been able to fight against centre-halves. And today he showed that he could throw a little bit of himself about and that he was holding onto the ball a lot better. A lot of that does come with age, to be fair, I think. Um, yeah, it will. You know, and it, and, and again, he, as we said, he's been thrown in the deep end on this. And he's not the quickest, but I think he's shown, he knows what he's doing in front of goal. He seems to have a similar to Jimenez. He seems to have a, a good knack of getting a shot off and making the keeper work for it as well. And you know, I, I, as, he's a big guy. He's got a bit of physicality about him. He just needs to know when to apply it and be a bit s- smarter with it. Which you know will only come the more games he plays against tough opposition. Fortunately, and then I guess really. Gents, we were coming in at half time and we probably didn't want the half time to come because, you know, we, we were in a strong position. And the only concern I had, and I think was shared by others, was that idea that potentially we'd, we'd pull ranks and we'd go a little bit defensive and, and hold on. But the game, again, um, opened up in the second half. And 
I think there was a chance not long after the break involving Silva and Neto. Um, and then not long after, Ajay, you know, again showing their physical threats. Um, what, what can you talk about in terms of their goal coming back into the game? Um, you know, that I've seen some criticism on, on, online. Um, poor defending or just just naturally a good physical threat and, you know, what could we have done differently for to conceive? I don't, I don't know if there's a fat lot you can do about the fact that Bartley and I, Ajay are just big lads who are going to get on the end of things to a certain extent. The problem being that, again, we're, we are a team who will allow a, a team to get the ball at the pitch and we just felt a little bit panicked every time the ball came into our own, uh, the, their final third, sorry. And, you know, this, you, you go back to how are they getting throw-ins this high up the pitch? I'm not being, again, this is West Bromwich Albion. They are, mm. I still think they are essentially the worst team in this league. Sheffield United, I would take all day long over West Brom at this point in time. I think regardless of whatever points tally they're on, they're, they're, they're struggling. They've been conceding goals. They've not been scoring any. So pin this team back. And I'm not saying this is someone who, you know, is a fan of a club who's, who's mediocre. I think we've got the talent and the players to go out and make this happen. But Nuno sets the team up but over years, you know, and this is, it's a very hard habit to break to kind of just sit on its laurels a little bit at times in a game and going 2-1 up, feeling comfortable. We will, you know, we'd spoken about for years how good we are when we get in front and, and you know, the the media do it, the commentators will do it. Oh, Wolves have gone 1-0 up. We know how good they are when they're, they're in the lead and, you know, they're, they're likely to, to kind of close this one out. So then it gives the players almost a bit of an arrogance to, to think and they shouldn't have that because we've been conceding really badly recently. Conceded goals quite badly recently. That, yeah, okay, it's only West Brom. Maybe they won't pose too much of a threat. But the fragility at the moment is shocking. Absolutely shocking. I was going to say, did any of you have any confidence? How much? Co- let me try that again. How much confidence did you have at two one at half time that we'd either did you, did you go see on, Luke on Instagram? True. <laughs> 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 True. <laughs> you know what, right? Yeah, my, my reaction was exactly how I was feeling. Confident, I was buzzing. 2-1 up, we was in control of the game. But why shouldn't you feel like that? Against the Albion, you're 2-1. You would have thought their confidence would have been hooked, you know. And... the whole team, on paper, we're a better team. We're a better team than Albion. All right, the one day, we're a better team than Albion. Um comfortable 2-1 that's a game we should be pushing on to get yeah. a third not yeah it's frustrating because we we the masters of our own demise so many times this season it's like a broken record now I'm fed up of it I'm fed up of having the same conversations podcast in podcast out it's not good enough it's as simple as that 2-1 up buzzing bouncing, we're in control of the game, they're not bothering us, they're not causing us any real issues, possession, comfortable, territory, comfortable, chances, comfortable, all in our favour, so, you know what, it's an an absolute disgrace that we've lost the game, you can't even sugarcoat over it, it's an absolute disgrace that we've lost that game from that position that we got ourselves in at half-time. I, th- I think that's the most galling thing, isn't it? It's, it's you know, 
work back on top. Confidence is, is high. You just you just sit the game out, and I think you know again being master of our, our d- demise because we'll, we'll touch on the third goal, and we've got a load of questions from Twitter corner. So I want to spend a bit of time on that to get everyone's reactions out there and, and our reactions in turns. But just to close in terms of the the third goal, which will lead to a talking point as well. There's no arguments on the penalty, I guess, from Cody. Or is there? No, I have got a slight argument. Because is there contact? Yes. But only 90 seconds, maybe two minutes previous to that, Nelson Tomato gets felled about 25 yards out where there's more contact and the ref gives nothing. So if that's not a foul on Tomato, how is it a foul on Pereira when there's more contact on the Tomato one? Again, if somebody can make it make sense, I'll be I'll be really grateful. Because was this the one where Samedo is basically running out of play, but he gets cleaned out? I think I think that's one you're. Well, yeah, he's gone on a run, yeah, yeah. carried the ball 30, 40 yards. Then there's three Albion players around him. Yeah, 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 into yeah, space, yeah, yeah. Into space to try and run onto it, but he just gets crowded out. There's yeah. contact, body to body, and he hits the floor. So if for me, if, if there's contact there, if it's not a foul. How can then you go 90, 90 seconds later up the pitch? And there's, in my opinion, minimal contact from Cody on Pereira. And and even though there's minimal contact, look how quick the ref is to point to the spot. He was very quick. You're right. Very quick. What I will say about the Robinson one as well, again, you're right in the sense that I don't think Robinson's getting on the end of that ball. You know, once he, once he spins, if he doesn't go down, I don't think he's picking it up. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out about the penalty was, do you remember when Fabio got booked for his dive? Very similar situation mm. where he got, the ball got played into his feet and the defender's tight to him. He's tight, but he's not so touch tight that, you know, he's, he's liable to give a foul away. Cody, it was very much like um, Cardiff when he gave away the penalty against Medine in the last minute and Rudy made the save. He's touch tight for no good reason. Show the guy away from goal. Even if he spins you in that kind of situation, volleys round on the cover, what's he going to do? It was a panicked kind of... He felt the need. I think he's got... Obviously, at that point in the game, they're back at 2-2. And there's an anxiety around and there's just a panic in the defence that says, oh, we've got to get the ball back. We can't be losing to these. We can't be losing to these. Oh, fuck, we've conceded a penalty. And, you know, that kind of quick decision-making is reminiscent of how we've played for a good five, six weeks, I reckon. You know, just little things at the back. Not big things. I don't think defensively, over a course of 90 minutes, we're that bad. But today, the decision-making in really significant points during the game was just awful. And Cody deserved to get dragged. I was going to say, you're definitely right on Cody one. Because when it happened, I was like, I'm sure I've seen him do that a few times. It's not even that he always does it on the penalties, in the penalty box either. And there's been a few cases where that's happened. And as a centre-half, it, it does happen. If you're playing against a smart striker, if you're that half a yard too close, it happens. But he does always seem to get a bit too tight too often. And I reckon if you look through some of the bookings he gets, it's usually for someone spinning him on the halfway line or him just trying to go through the back of the player and not quite get him there in time. And it's not good enough, really. And, and, and those really where we've uh, covered up to this point um, are the, the goals. And I think the main talking points from, um, you know, in terms of the, the impact they've had on the game. But there's 
there's more to this. Um, so what we're going to do after this short break um, is go to some of the comments that we've received online after this. Hi, Richard here. Before you go back to hearing us dissect the latest Wolves news, some really shoehorn Simpsons references, a bit of 90s film action, of course, a bit of wrestling, um, I just want to do a quick shout out for our sponsors, Pixel Yeti Media. Now, they've done a fantastic job on the Wolves Fancast website, WolvesFancast.com, please go check it out. But they're not just web designers, they're a creative agency that cover all your design needs from websites, brochures and signage to marketing, logo design and branding. There's basically nothing they can't do marketing-wise, so make sure you check them out at pixelyetimedia.com and I'll let you get back to enjoying the show. So one of the, the comments that we've had, and, and, and Gully sort of um, referenced this, so we keep to get all of your views on this. So we, we talked there in terms of the, the, the third goal, and Cody. So Gaz Roberts uh, has got in touch with us to say, should he have pulled Cody the way he did? Yes, he was poor, but to do that to him was uncalled for. I guess I, he's talking in terms of the context of him being the skipper and kind of making such a public um, substitution. Um, and and this, this seems to me, gents, who want to take this up first, this seems to be very significant that it's the first game he's been pulled, and in a local derby, this this is this is quite big. I think I think it's a it's a big statement by Nuno. Mm. And if I'm being honest with you, I think he's lost the players. I, to Paul Cody, your captain in a local derby when he's never been pulled before, and in my opinion, there was worse performers out there today. Who's who should have gone off then? Matinho, terrible. Never. What for? No, for no. But think about the player who's coming back onto the pitch as well. This isn't just Cody getting dragged. Ryan Art knew he's coming on. Yeah, and if you think about it, we're chasing a game. Who? What? Cody, to be honest, he didn't have a good game. His passing game for a start wasn't on. He wasn't good with the ball at his feet, and I think. As a result of that, the rest of his game kind of fell off as well. Did, did so, he make the sub at all? Well, Ike Nuri coming on at left back, we weren't getting anywhere near like goal. There's no point in leaving Saison if you, in that position if you're gonna if you're gonna you know be chasing the game. He's not offering you anything going forward. So Ike Nuri coming on was fine, I think. Did the sub impact the game? I think Ike Nuri offered more than Saison would have or Cody would have going forward. We had one shot on target in the second half. But do you think it would have changed? Do you when think you... it would have changed? If what? Cody got left on, do you think we would, have, we would have been any better for it? Possibly not. But to make a statement like that, to make a minimal change on the game, is poor management. No, but come on. There aren't no untouchables no in this club. No untouchables. Well, why, why, why should anybody be exempt from getting dragged in a game? Nobody should be exempt. But I just think it was... It, it's Like with his Lee Mason comments... Wrong time. I do. I do think there's something in the fact that some of the substitutions he made today felt like totally on Nuno. Like, like Catron going two up front was like, oh my god, we've gone four four two. I was going to say felt really it, that, bizarre. It was yeah. odd that we ended the game like that, and it it felt like he didn't have a plan. This is, but when you look at the shape of the team from about seventy minutes onwards, terrible. But I, I think there's I'll, another part I'll, of this. See? There's another part of this, which is. This is the first time I can ever recall Nuno saying before a game that it's a must win or that there's any extra pressure on it or anything mm. like that. And I think 
he ended up managing the game in that way as well. With the, he made he made the Gibbs White change pretty soon in second half. I think it was yeah. quite quick, and he doesn't usually make changes that early. And to then you know make some of the substitutions that he did felt like a, a manager under pressure, you know, kind of whimsical almost that he felt like, okay, I need to do something. Uh, what can I do? And then just kind of, you know, it was winging it. It was winging it, to be fair, second half, totally. And that worries you, doesn't it? And I think it's, you know, I, I, I take that point because it was it was quite cavalier, wasn't it, really? Someone who's very system-driven and will acknowledge the fact that it's a derby and it has significance, but to put a must-win on it, and then think, shit, I've said to everyone. But I think, you know, to that point, Rich, sorry, I was just going to ask because a, a, a very similar message we've got, because I want to get to as many people as we can, um, as if I've got them on the line waiting. That's, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Jakey, a friend of the fan cast, um, said, Can anyone remember Nuno bringing a sub on and us looking better as a result? I've been saying it since we're in the championship and this feels very hindsighty of me. I've been saying for years, <laughs> but um, I, I, I think, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I remember, I think when we lost, I can't remember which game it was in the championship, but we were able to get away with it for the last couple of years because of the quality of the side. And it has been quite a lot of times I found or felt even that when we've been losing, he's a, and I, I understand it, but he is very process system driven and you trust what the team are doing. Don't change it too much. Even the personnel who are on the pitch. And I, to an extent, I agree with that, but actually if something needs to change, those players and that manager need to adapt to have a greater impact on this team. And there were times in the championship when that was the case. And you know what? It didn't matter because we won so many games and it's not really always crept up, but this season it's become more and more apparent that the subs today, it, it struck me as on Football Manager where you're like, right, I'm losing. Let's change formation. Mm. Oh, that's not working. Right. Um, I'll, I'll just play around with it and see if that next thing works and then that next thing. And I, I don't think you should necessarily have your subs mapped out. I know some managers do, but there didn't seem to be a, a strong thought process into those subs winning us the game or allowing us to score again. And, you know, sometimes it's personnel, but half the time it's positional. And that, that frustrated me sort of more than anything. And I think, to be fair, I thought when Gibbs White came on, he gave us something because he at least was in that attacking midfield area to see what he could do and bounced around a bit. Matinho, um, I'll be interested to see if Gully picks up on this on his fantastic tactical analysis show. But so many times when our wide players get for ball, he doesn't move. He almost drops five yards back to try and hope that it goes back to the defence to then come across them rather than just push five yards forward and get it in. All right, it might be a slightly more precarious position, but it asks a hell of a lot more questions. And just that little bit of confidence and belief we just seem to just be not there. The, the only other one that I thought potentially could have been Vitinha for, for Matinho or even Neves, arguably. I think I think any three of those midfielders, I think, had a really poor game. You know and... what you find with um, with Matinho, Dendonka and Neves, and you, like I said, this is quite obvious when you have a look at like, the pass maps and stuff. A lot of their passing is very safe. Um, and yeah. like you say, yeah, you might 
pick up balls in um, a more precarious situation where you might lose it. But it's high risk and high reward at the same time if you, if you can make something of those kind of situations and playing in tighter areas against a team who they weren't that threatening on the break. Let's be honest, you know, they weren't that there wasn't that much pace in the Albion attack to concern us. You should be able to, you know, throw an extra body forward into, you know, you know the the kind of you know the half spaces, the you know the number ten yeah. positions where you can get more out of getting in, getting balls into those kind of positions. So, like, without sounding sort of too arrogant, it's Jean Martino. He's mm. one of the best, you know, most cap Portuguese players. He has got the ability to pick that ball up a little bit further forward, with no great disrespect. He's up against Jake Livermore. Jake Livermore isn't going to apply a hyper-pressing game to try and snatch the ball off him when they are 3-2 up. He, he is going to drop deep and then push them forward as a team. And it's those little things which you don't do when you're a team lacking confidence. And I think just to, just to add to that, there's, there's a point again on Matinia that I've received here, but there's a wider point here which links Wolf makes going down. No other way to look at it. Nine points out of a possible 33 since Jimenez injured. This ridiculous experiment with four at the back has to stop. Squad needs freshening up. Need a goal-scoring centre midfielder as Matinho just isn't up to it anymore. Paraphrasing that, that bit slightly. But I think that gets the message across. There's a bit to pick up on there. I guess I'm not just saying this for reaction here. This is the reality. Are we in a relegation fight? No, I think there's three worse teams than us in the division. Well, that's what I'd say. Well, just, I don't feel that technically answers your question. Yeah, that doesn't mean we're not in a fight for it. No, yeah, I, no, I'm with you. I, I think you know. I don't think we're we're kind of one of those teams at the bottom that I would be concerned. But do you know what? I, I look at it and I think, well, when we're in the championship, we were saying we're too good to go down. Are we going go down again? And you know, I don't want to scare Monk, but you know, at what point do you say, well, actually, something's not right here? I think it would be naive not to think so. Yeah. We're nine points, no, sorry, 10 points off safety, I believe, following Fulham losing the game today. Um, but the form is terrible, absolutely terrible. And you look at the games coming up, our next 10 games, maybe one or two look winnable. But we've put ourselves in a position now where from the next 10 games, 30 points, we need to collect at least 20. I think what you'll find is that Nuno will probably strip it back a little bit. He will go back to basics within the shape and, and, and we'll, we'll probably see going forward a lot more like what we're used to over the last few seasons. Now, my problem with that is it is slightly more negative, but that system gave the players confidence. We've been playing without confidence for about a good five or six weeks now. So to then just play... You know, players without confidence in a system that you're familiar with, but that's also more negative and invites more pressure, invites more room to make mistakes, I think, still. I still think we're in a position where our forwards aren't going to thrive off the lack of service that they'll get over the next few games where we probably will play a back three and a back five and be a bit more passive. And our defenders are out of so much form that they're still likely to make errors at the back and we're still likely to concede goals no matter what shape. It's not, nothing to do with formation. You, you can't tell me we conceded goals today because we played about four. We conceded goals because we made stupid tackles around the penalty area and we conceded off a long throw-in. There's nothing to do with the shape. 
Um, so it, it becomes an individual player problem. Um, and that's the biggest concern of all, I think, at the moment. But I think to that, that Gully, I think it, it's just, and this is maybe me looking at this very simplistic, and that's fine if I am, but I'm just saying it as, as sort of I see it. You know, the, the success and the foundations of the success was Nuno, was built on clean sheets. It was as simple as that and as predictable as we was. And at times, if we were shipped to watch, it was what it was. It got results. And now we've gone from a side which, you know, built that success and foundation on that to a, a side. And I know this tradition has been um, put into account. And I get there were isolated incidents with a header and, and two penalties here. But I, I look, I'm nervous, well, you know, of this defence right now. And we are shipping goals. I mean, for where yeah. I see it is what, we're 19 league games into a season, 22 points. Do we see us getting 22 points out of the next 19 games? Not the way we're playing. We've got no good with goals. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... that that That's the worrying thing for me, is for even if you muddle around with forms, averages, 19 games is a healthy... It, it's half the games we've played this season. We've played everyone once. Yeah? Yeah, we definitely have, because we've not played anyone. No. Anyway, I'm getting confused with my own maths here. But... I'm struggling to see this map match rat in the second half of the season unless they really change something. And you're completely right. The issues today weren't formation-led. It was player-led slash manager-led to a certain degree. Um, if we go back to a three at the back and we go, you know, whether it's a, I guess it's if you go to a back three, do you go two up front or do you go with one slash three? And... It's still the biggest issue is we don't have Raul Jimenez. We don't have someone. If we are going to play more football by numbers in a way that look, we'll try and win games one nil, two one, two nil. We need to be clinical, and I struggle to see us doing that with the players that we do in that formation without exposing ourselves heavily at the back. So when uh-huh. when do we, when do we start questioning Fulton and what they're doing? Well, because this is the because Gully touched, touched on it. It's all right. You can say Nuno in. You can say Nuno out. Let's take the way Gully's looking at it. It's not tactical. It's player led. Player led individual errors, which shows to me, if we're still doing this, nineteen games in where we've been shit more than we've been good, that says to me we need new players to come in. Why aren't Fulton bringing in players in this window? I think, I think honestly, Luke, it's, it, there's been an oversight in the recruitment whereby we're still playing with our championship back three, essentially. Yeah. We haven't upgraded that part of the pitch no. at all. Whether you think Bolly's a top-class centre-half or not, he is. But the guys alongside him, they've not been upgraded. Cody, yes, very important to the way we play and his passing and the leadership skills, etc., Romain Saiz is he's a, he's still a stopgap measure for me. Like as good, as much as I love him and he's a top quality footballer in many ways and he can fill many spaces and whatever. You're not telling me you couldn't find a better option than him somewhere, like wherever you're looking yeah, and who's going to be a permanent spot, left-footed centre half who can do a job for the next three or four seasons at Wolves and will make us a better team. 
I think that's actually quite a simple one to, to kind of resolve. But well, we haven't looked at it. I was going to say, wasn't Marcel supposed to, supposedly supposed to be the answer? Supposedly, supposedly. Um, I felt like Marcel was signed just to sort of cover Johnny's injury. Essentially, yeah. I think I think yeah. that was the plan. Who and you know, with his own injuries, obviously, of course. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> again, I think there's just been a fundamental failing in in the recruitment policy. And <laughs> you know, you can lie on Nuno wanting a small squad, but that doesn't really wash, if you ask me. I think. Let's take the Jimenez situation and, and we'll take it away from the defence and move it to the strikers. Yes, he's brought Catrano back, but it's blatantly obvious we need a new striker, whether it be a long-term solution or a short-term solution. Now, when did Jimenez get injured? End of November? Yeah. So our board have had longer than any other board in the division to identify a striker. And they haven't done so. So they failed. So they, they, the question needs to be asked about Faustin now. I'm sorry, but it does. Because to if we end this window without signing a striker, because Jimenez isn't going to play again this season, even if it's just on loan, then they've let us down. They've let would us down. Too, oh, would it be too harsh to say as well that Catrone cost us getting a point today with that chance at the end? Well, you could argue that, but again, with the Catrone situation, it's desperation with both him and Morgan Gibbs-White. They've brought them back on loan, and it's not. we're not in a situation... You know, I was talking to my mate today, um, who's an Albion fan, and he summed it up perfectly. And he said, you're bringing back players that have gone out on loan, and they've been out of form on loan. It stinks of desperation. It, and he likened it to when Leicester recalled Harvey Barnes from Albion. They recalled Harvey Barnes from Albion because he was on fire. Now, if Morgan Gibbs-White or Catrone was on fire on, in their respective line spells, then you look at it and you say, yeah, good move, that is. But we brought them back when they've not been informed at the club. All right, you can say that Swansea fans was happy with Gibbs-White, but he spent a long time out injured. Yeah. And... He's no great shakes. I'm sorry, but he's no great shakes, and he's not a Premier League level footballer. The Championship is his level. We've we've seen Gibbs White, haven't we? You know, we, he's not a kid anymore. We've we've seen, you know, he's had a good run in that side. Is this a Bozen issue or is this a Nuno issue? Is Nuno saying actually we're all right? I know his PR line is solutions with the squad, and that strikes me of he's playing at a very sort of tactical sort of answer to that. Because I think you'd have to be extremely naive to think that the solutions are within the squad. Granted, I know people will be piling in this to say, Jimenez out, Johnny's out, Marcel's out, you know. We've got six, I think, Pedentes out. You know, I get they would all have made a difference and potentially started today. I get that. But is it, again, just an example of Nuno's mantra in this small squad, which we spoke about in the last pod, which when things are going well, it's lauded and it's brilliant. And when the shit hits the fan and we're out of form, it's actually bit him on the arse. I mean, surely if we're supposed to be a system-driven team and quite a scientific in terms of how tactical we are for me, like everyone knows their role, it's almost military-driven. Whoever comes into that team knows what they are doing. And it doesn't quite feel like that a lot of the time. And, if you know, Catrone, when he joined didn't necessarily fit the style of play and little things like that, where it just seems to be, we've gone from being this really cohesive unit 
to one where it can almost feel like we've got 11 individuals on the pitch. Not not quite to that extent, but there seems to be a clash in styles. And Pudence is a great example for me. That, actually, no, this isn't an example. This is a separate point, sorry. But he's out longer than I think we're all anticipating. The fact we've had to bring Gibbs White on alone, it wasn't that he's going to be out for a month with a hamstring injury because it feels like we can't keep him fit, which is another huge stalwart of this regime is being able to keep their squad fit. And, you know, if, if we're relying on players not to get injured, it's a bit worrisome that, you know, how, how big's the Premier League squad can you have? Is it 23, 25? 25, yeah. as many as many under 21 players as you like, essentially, yeah. which and is I, I, half of our squad at the moment. Yeah, and I, I, I completely get the um, principle between by having a small team but we should comfortably be able to have I think at this point year three in the Premier League with the financial backing that we have essentially two first team sets of players who can just drop in at any point so if you get injuries if we've got seven out injured it doesn't matter because you've still got four of those other players plus you hit the academy youngsters as well and whether they are under 20 players or not, we don't have a strong enough strength in depth. You look at the bench, even if we had those players back, Harfin wouldn't be on the bench, in my opinion, because he just pushed them out because they don't fit the system and you'd have Nigel uh, Longwick on the bench. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's frustration now. I think there's definitely an argument with going back to tried and trusted and will we see Nuno be a little bit more cautious just to kind of pull rank and what he was perhaps trying to do this season, you know, not, not kind of go there, but I mean, we're on a difficult balance here because we are reactionary, but, but as you spoke about before, we're calling it as we see it. There are issues there and they've, they've got to be addressed. And, Tom Casson raises a point on, on, on Twitter corner. Where do you stand on having your say on the game? It seems that these days you can't say anything vaguely negative against Wolves without being called a plastic fan. When did we stop being able to have an opinion? And I think that's fair comment, you know. It, just because we're, we're, we're disappointed doesn't mean, you know, um, we don't care. We do it because we give a shit and because actually we think that we should be better than this. Do you remember when in Jacket's third season and it was getting really drab and there were calls for Jacket out and you know what I I, I backed around it I guess similar reasons why people back Nuno of what he'd done for the club and I remember the phrase happy clappers being used quite a lot it, it, it's similar but different that I think everyone's just reacting to a situation that's in front of them I don't think people quite want to believe that Nuno's infallible. And, and, and yeah. just let's let's just call it as it is in terms of you know Nuno and, and what your force position in, on, on him at the moment because there will be calling people calling for his head. He's lost me now. He's lost me. Um, three, four, five weeks ago, the rut was starting to set in, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to sit on it. Until the Albion game, but I, I've said to myself, if we lose to them, I'm done with him. So to win me back now, he's he's, he's got to win the FA Cup. <laughs> I think, Seriously, I think he has. I'm done with him. 
It's me now. If I woke up tomorrow and, and saw on the Express and saw that noon, I'd be okay. So, Luke, Luke, let me put this to you then. Let me put this to you. Based on what you've just said, yeah, yeah. if, if uh, you know, we go back to the, the conversation we're having in the first half of this podcast, if that free kick was given instead of a penalty, just as an example, yeah, yeah. Albion, Albion don't go 1-0 up, yeah, we yeah. perhaps score one, maybe, you know, we draw the game, maybe win. What are your feelings then? Because essentially, you that? If we if we win or we draw, you know, if, if take, not, take the, port, take the, take the performance as it was, you know. But then essentially, you, you say you say you make the point, you give it till the game today. Yeah, I think essentially your head's already in that place, really, isn't it? it was, Before this I game, like I didn't want to sort of feel like it was a knee-jerk reaction because this has been festering inside me for for a good month or so now because it's not been good enough, and what. What's going to change? I, th- I think, from my perspective, if I just kind of give my own take on, on it at the moment, I, I, I sympathise with Nuno and the situation he's in, just because, forget, I, I'm not talking about the personal life situation and stuff that people keep banging on about at the moment. I'm Purely footballing-wise, we have been stripped of some really important players um, for reasons that we can't um, legislate for, and obviously injuries happen. That's just part and parcel of football. Yes, we can go on about how um, you should be planning for that and there should be contingencies and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, if you're taking out last season's, you know, guaranteed starter at left wing back, your guaranteed starter in, in, central, in as your central striker, um, Daniel Pudence, I still think is a massive, massive loss to us as a footballer and, and, and the way he's been playing for us recently. And you then, you know, try and implement, you know, and have a group of young lads who are kind of still wet behind the ears to try and you know cover that cover that arse really you know th- th- you're going to have troubles my my problem at the moment is yeah like you say I don't see Nuno progressing the club beyond where he's taken us to and for me till the end of this season he's still good enough and you know smart enough and capable enough to get us onto a decent footing within the Premier League. I still don't think we'll finish way low down the, the, the league table. I think we'll finish somewhere between 10th and probably 13th. But beyond that, that is your time. That is your opportunity to kind of, you know, shake hands and say, you know what, it's been a good ride, but I think we need to go into a different direction because the squad of players we have available to us has far more potential than it's showing right now. We, we, we could potentially be walking to a, a relegation battle here. We could potentially be sleepwalking into getting relegated. You think Nuno getting rid of Nuno is going to stop that? Because I don't think a, yeah. I don't think a new manager coming in, unless you bring in a Sam Allardyce or some stupid, no, um, you know, no, but no, 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 exactly. So who who are you going to bring in? Who hasn't got a big philosophy that they need to try and implement? Who needs time on the training ground? Who needs to embed a style of play? All this kind of stuff. And you're not going to get a long-term answer by having a short-term solution by getting rid of Nuno. You're not going to do that. I still think to the end of this season, he's going to be fine. What if we finish 18th? What, what, what do you say then? Or are we, too, are we too big? Are we too good to even have that conversation of finishing 18th? No, nah, it's not about too big or too good. I, I, still don't, I think it's far more reckless to get rid of him and uh, try and replace him with someone than, at this point in the season than, than stick with him. Far more reckless. Well, I mean, regardless of whether he stays or whether he goes, I'm still going to support Wolves. So, 
from from that part <laughs> from that part it makes no odds to me because obviously the organisers reporting wolves and hoping that we don't go down and hoping that we finish as high in the table as we can. So but for me for me there's too many problems now. Way too many problems. Size of the squad, results, form, no players coming in. I mean I can see a, I can see it kicking off with Cody and Nuno now. And if you lose your captain, you're fucked. The, the thing is, though, to, to kind of mitigate here. So, as, as Goody point, points out, you know, the squad and the quality of it, that we're not getting enough out of them, then that's down to the manager then, isn't it? But then there's obviously the issue that it, what's your solution? If you bring someone in as a specialist just to see you through, then, again, that seems short-sighted. I mean, me personally... I was still seeing through to, to the end of this, this season because I believe, you know, if he was at a full squad, I think, you know, I'd go out and we're, and we're not progressing. Then I'd go, well, actually, but there are factors here. And it is by design because I think it's naivety in recruitment that he's had this small squad and he shouldn't have been over-reliant on that and it's bit him in the arse. Yeah. But, but you can't legislate for the fact you've got... that I can name six players who would have started today and that, that is huge. No, it is. You're right. You're right, Hoops. You are right. I, I, again, it, there's a multitude of things that have gone wrong, and um, it's almost been a perfect storm of a season in that sense, um, in terms of you know having a negative impact on on what we've been doing. But when you talk about someone who, okay, what do you want from someone to, from now until the end of the season? You want someone who's going to, you know, get clean sheets, keep um, you know, keep us playing, you know, solid football get the best out of some of our players that, that we've got and um, make sure we win enough games basically to keep us in the division. If that's, if that's how seriously we think this situation is, then that's what you want. And essentially you're talking about Nuno when you say a lot of those things, you know, he, he is fundamentally that manager. He does, you know, keep clean sheets. He does, you know, protect leads. That's what he's done for the vast majority of his Wolves career. Whether you think that he's having a bad patch or not, again, the caveats are there. I don't think you know we can. We have a better option at this moment in time. But can we be drawn on sentiment, Rich? I mean, you know, is that is that? He, he's obviously Nuno's got um, a lot of credits in the bank, hasn't he? Ultimately, yeah, it, it's obviously difficult because of what he's done at the club. Um, but I, I, I'm sort of siding with Gully in a way that what will a new manager bring in you know are we gonna is he gonna be able to impart his system in a matter of weeks is he gonna bring in his personnel in the you know in the time the window closes and the answer is sort of no I, I back Nuno until the end of the season because I think if we change him now it becomes very difficult um not to um and we've almost just got a hope that things turn around or to say that they're three worse teams than us. I think there are. And, you know, I think over the second half of the season, we, we might be able to string a few wins together and kind of hopefully get, you know, five wins plus, you know, seven draws or something like that. But it, it, it's hard viewing at the moment. I mean, I, I'm not... A, we're even having these conversations, you know. Yeah, you know. Oh, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. And this isn't yeah. me thinking that Wolves are bigger than the Beatles. 
This is me just thinking. <laughs> we, we gave ourselves a good platform. Two seven place finishes. Yes, all right, you can say injuries, but you need to manage your squad accordingly. For the especially with the Jimenez one. With Jimenez, we've been walking a tightrope for two for yeah, two seasons now. Yeah. I've been yeah. just one striker. And no, I think squad management has been terrible. Absolutely terrible. Recruitment hasn't been much better. We're, we're, we're playing games now. We have no shape, no identity. Come on. That's not good enough. And do we need to accept that? We've been playing games with no striker. The last 20 minutes today, tell me the shape, tell me the formation. I don't even think the players on the pitch knew. You look at his, his subs, some of his... It's, it's like he's losing the plot. The, well, the, the, the concern is that the cracks are showing, and and uh, are we going to are we going to plaster over those cracks and then give Nuno the ability to do that, or are we going to you know look slightly outside of the box and think actually something's awry here? I mean, Luke referenced, I referenced the Cody thing. Now the Cody thing could get all washed up and it could all be fine. They could all sort it out with a social distance cuddle or whatever. Of course, the issue is this could be an Ikeemi moment with. Bashing that, you know, tactic forward yeah. at half time or a Carl Henry dropping a captaincy. I'm not, we don't fucking want it to be, but it could be. And it could be that if we look and do this podcast, is, you know, in a time capsule in a few years' time, think, why didn't we see the signs? Come on. He'd, Cody, yeah. If it weren't for Nuno, he'd be down. You know, playing on loan at Barnsley or something right now, just bringing you know running around the central midfield yeah. in, in the championship. Yeah. He he owes his career to Nuno at the moment, and if he if he wants to give him a rocket, then Nuno has every right to do that. Well, I'm not the saying time he... the place, yeah, the time and a place, and I think it's been poorly managed. Similar to how Fabio Silva poorly managed. There's too many incidents now where we can discuss poorly managed. That's I think not... that... I think the difference with 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 code in some of the names I referenced there is is you'd assume a professionalism, as you're saying, a, a relationship which has elevated Cody to get an international call up. So there's got to be a level of respect there. I think it was just more the fact that what message does that send out? And I don't know. I'm not going to put words into your mouth, Lou. Is it a case of that could have been discussed on the training ground and maybe leave him out for the next couple of games as opposed to that? Statement, but then you, you're chasing the game, aren't you? And and we've surely coming up at the weekend. That's the perfect opportunity. If he's had a stinker, especially when it's your skipper, when it's your captain, that's your right hand man. Cody's Nuno on the pitch. They should have that respectful relationship. Even if he's having a stinker, he didn't play that bad that he needed the hook like that. Or it's not like it's the first time he's ever played bad. Cody could have been hooked off. Several times before, over the last three or four seasons, and he hasn't. Yeah. Well, then he comes back to poor management. So with Charlie at the weekend, <laughs> no, no, right? Keeps him on for the ninety because we still the result. It, it, it didn't really impact the result, did he? Ultimately, and yes, okay, hindsight is a fucking beautiful thing. But then they have the conversation Monday morning. Look, codes. I don't know what happened against the shit, but you was off. <laughs> you wasn't on it. So, Jordy's coming up, cut game, I'm going to give you a little rest. We'll go over a couple of things on the, on, on the training field, step into my office, we'll discuss a couple of things tactically behind closed doors, but you've got to miss out the Jordy game. No one would bat an eyelid. But now, we have, we've, probably, we've probably debated this for 20 minutes on this podcast, because Nuno's made it a problem. 
No, but I think you you, you were saying this because he's a centre back and centre backs don't get taken off, do they? Of That's they like, of course. And how often does a centre half get taken off? You don't you don't change it, but your back your centre half pairing does not change you know, over the course of ninety minutes unless it has to. The only reason he came off is because Sace left footed option centre half better pass through the ball in during this game. Cody, he wasn't moving the ball well at all, and that's what we needed at that moment in time. Ryan Nuri, better attacking option down the left. Sice getting into the box and okay. getting his head okay. on the end of things. Let, let that's me, all. That's all there is to it. I don't think there's much more. Let me than put that. this to you then. Matinho was fucking shit today, and he's been shit all season, right? Don't I'm say all season. Matinho has, has been absolutely stinking. So why didn't he bring off Matinho? Put Sice in midfield, and he could still put Nuri at left back. Sace isn't a more attacking option in uh, of a footballer than Mintinho, though, is he? Cool. Listen, who's got four <laughs> goals this season? Sace or Mintinho? Off set pieces. Off set pieces. What about his goal that got disallowed against Leeds? From left wing back. From left wing back. Well, it's an option, isn't it? It's an option. It, and you're telling me that's beyond the realms of possibility that change. Put Sace into the middle. Eight Nori on the wing, so you've got more attacking for out wide because we attack out wide anyway. Don't really attack through the middle. And no, but this conversation, you know, have a But in essence, in essence, again, nobody should be exempt from getting substituted. So the whole skipper thing is it's a red here, it's a red herring for me. So bottom line, I, I still see more sense in the substitution he made than any of the other alternatives that there could have been. I, that's why I, that's why I see it. I mean, I find it interesting that we think Nuno's not lost the plot. But he's lost the he, plot. I say bad it is. But you know, we, he he's clearly not got the same nows that he has shown previously. As we've just said, Cody is him on the pitch. I find it fascinating how both their forms are mirroring each other at the moment. That. You know, the last month, defensively, we have looked fragile. We have not looked organised. We have not held good shape a lot of the time. We have been sloppy. We have been poor individually. And you could say that about from the management and his leader on the pitch as well. And I think it sort of culminated today. He didn't have a stinker. You know, it wasn't like it was a catalogue of errors. If you're going to hook him, you could have hooked him against Liverpool. If you were talking about just massive individual errors, but he didn't. It was today because it was just a full-on, just a breakdown of how they've been looking to play. And hopefully, you know what, they go into a training ground Monday morning, it all gets put behind them and they start almost from scratch again. And, you know, complete clean slate for everybody at that club including the players, including the manager. And I think, Rich, I think we all echo that because this is a big moment, you know, Luke, coming off the, the back of a, a Derby result. Um, the only positive, and tell me if there's any others, was, was Fabio today. I, you know, I think, I think if we, you know, there's, been a, there's a lot of disgruntlement here, but there are positives. I think Fabio will give us an opportunity that hopefully he can kickstart because as we talked about after the goal, he seemed a different player. Hopefully he can kick on. Um, and we hope that obviously Nuno, um, if he's to retain with ourselves, then you know he does find those solutions that we talk about, and 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 we progress in the cup as Luke says, 
uh, and and hopefully in the league. So turning our attentions now um, to the cup and surely, but also when we look at the fixtures coming up, I believe we've got uh, Palace in the, uh, the league fixture coming up, and we've got Chelsea. I think Luke references there's some tough games coming up, as you would expect in the Premier League. Starting specifically with Chorley, but also for the Premier League fixtures, what personnel changes would you make? I mean, for me, I think Kilman's been unlucky. So if we're talking defensively, is there an opportunity for him to come in? Is you know, obviously we're waiting on some of the injuries to to come back, and we don't know the full detail of that. But I guess there's there's, there's a couple of bits to this question. You know, will you change the formation? Um, should he change the formation, and should he change personnel? I'd go full strength. So for Chorley specific, but what would your full strength be? Would it be as of today then? Because we talked about that, there wasn't really an issue with the side as it was, um, you know. No, I'd, I'd bring in Aitnuri because I don't think we, well, hopefully we shouldn't have to be worrying about defending too much. So you can play a bit more of an attacking defence, if that makes sense. Um, do you know what? I'd drop Matinho. I'm sorry, but I would. He's He's been disgusting for me this season. So off the boil, and I'd bring Bettina in for him. And you know, now I'd, I'd and I'd give Catrone a chance as well for Silva, but the rest I'd be pretty much full strength because we can't even we're in a position where we can't even take a risk of making six or seven changes against fucking Chorley in the cup. That's a bad it's not. No, oh, I, I, think, I think we can. Yeah. I think we can. I think you've got chances for Otisowi to come in. I think, you know... Oops, imagine, right? We make six or seven chances <laughs> at the tech of the penals. Do you, remember, do you remember... um 3 nil, 1986. When Sol Bakken was in charge, and yeah. we, it feels quite reminiscent of going into that Luton game, where yeah. Yeah. There, was, there was pressure on the Luton game, and you thought, and Luton were... A, conference side I think at the time I think did they have Andre Gray up for it maybe that was probably the, the best of, the, of their lot and it felt amazing that there was pressure on an FA Cup fixture against a conference team but it feels like that right now and it feels like like yeah I, I agree with Luke in the sense that we can't make too many changes this coming weekend uh, two or three like you say maybe Kilman comes in because I think he's He's proven himself reliable in the Premier League. Maybe, yeah, Vitinha for Matinho, to be honest. I could do, I could see that for the next three games and I wouldn't really bat an eyelid about it at the moment because he needs to play. He has to have something in the locker for us to have a £20 million option to buy him. To, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to have that option out there and then you don't play him, you've, you've, you've basically wasted a transfer for the whole season then, I think. So... Make sure you go out and use him for the next few weeks. Um, and Catrone, yeah, give him 90 minutes. He, he'll sniff out a goal somewhere. And, and you know, But I, I still think we need to go back to the back three, even if it's against Chorley, just because it doesn't have to be a negative system against Chorley. We can play our wing-backs as absolute wingers in that game. Um, but just to embed ourselves back into that system, a bit of familiarity for the weeks ahead, and just to, to you know get a bit of confidence in the side and playing as a unit again. Can I, can I just mention something that's quite spooky? Today, Chorley have beaten Farsley Celtic 3-2. Farsley Celtic was 2-1 up at half-time, like we was. So Chorley was 2-1 down at half-time. They've turned it, turned it round and won 3-2 with two goals in four minutes, in four second half minutes. 
Albion scored two goals in four second half minutes. <laughs> so what you're saying is surely you're going to replicate whatever Albion do next week? Yeah. So if, yeah. They, if they have a yeah. shocker, then we're all right. <laughs> <laughs> How weird's that? That is freaky. Rich, Rich, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you, do you think it'll change? Do you want him to change formation or, or personnel for, for Chorley and also our next Premier League fixture as well? In terms of uh, Chorley, I'd definitely go back to a back three with wing-backs. You know, we've got the personnel. We can sort of make it quite happily. I'd go round out Norway. I'd probably give I'd, I'd probably give Samedo a rest instead of dropping him. Um, you want my honest opinion? Just put in whoever. Um out wide again, Virginia. I'd bring him in, I'd play Catrone as well. And you know what? Give them minutes, give them confidence, give uh, just hopefully give them a bit of a lift more than anything because we're going to need those players second half of the season. It is mad though. I was just thinking we need this lift against Chorley, (laughs) (laughs) it's not the best place to be, and it's not where we probably thought we would be sort of at the start of the season, but that's where we're at. I mean, jeez. I, I think, yeah, I think it's one of those, I suppose, if you're in the confidence reign, reign of form, you probably make changes because you're happy you've got a settled side in the league. But I think these guys just need to know what it's like to get a clean sheet. Again, hopefully in a, in a win. And I do think you've got to put that comfort blanket on with going back to your formation and really going back to basics. And if you pull the tits off everyone and start getting results, then so be it. And then if you exactly, then yeah, get yeah. your players back, you know. I haven't got a problem with just thinking the place out anywhere now. Just go out and get some results. No. It's, it's no, no bother whatsoever. I just think, I, and I, I will, I do think this, this whole podcast kind of has to be caveated with it was the Black Country Derby. And this game is always a lot more significant than um, any other fixture. And it always seems to come at some sort of point in, in a season when, you know, something critical is going on, whether we're chasing, you know, promotion, you know, back in the, in the days and, you know, or, you know, trying to push on or, you know, we've had a bad run of results. West Brom are essentially on this planet to inflict misery upon us. Let's be clear. They don't have anything themselves to really um, celebrate and, and, and have um, over us over the course of the last 20 years, even, you know, we, with all the time they spent in the Premier League, they've not really achieved a fat lot with it. And um, I think the pain for me, just to get slightly emotional now, we've got we've got a better squad, a better manager, a better kind of better training facilities, better backroom staff, better owners, you know, bigger budgets, everything. And we decided to lose that game today. And I think that that's the pain that has kind of led to all the kind of shit that's come out on social media today. So when we wake up tomorrow morning, I think it's worth everyone just kind of having a bit of a reset and thinking about the fact that West Brom will probably still go down this season. We need, we can't let that define us. We can't. I, I think you, I think you're right, Glenn. You know, it, you talk a lot of sense, and and I get it. And I think it's just the fact that they've got this bloody voodoo. Curse on us. And I said this coming into the game, if we were top and they were bottom, I wouldn't be confident because it's just as it is. And it's the fact that at certain points in the history, particularly in recent history, you know, you go to the 5-1 and then the, the, the double relegation, that it seems that they're the catalyst. And I think it was Jason Jeffries that made a point on Twitter about Nuno and someone saying, we're wanting Nuno out. It says, no, don't let Albion have this. 
Don't let Albion own this situation where as a de- direct result of this defeat, we get rid of the most successful manager we've had since the 50s. And I think that's the issue. Yeah. Uh, it ain't working at the moment and, 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 and that's fine. And I get that. And I absolutely respect those who say, well, actually, we might need to make a change because they may well be proved right. Um, but I think, yeah, but this is, a, we don't want to be reaction. We're not doing this for, for likes or interactions. Everybody that's come on and everybody that's on social media, generally speaking, I can't speak for everyone, are saying it because this is how they see it, because they're pissed off and they're frustrated. And because we didn't expect to be doing this podcast when we set this up, you know, this this week, to be talking about a defeat and conceding three goals at home against Albion. Yeah. <sighs> but we are, and that's what it is, and, and we're hoping we can... We can move on from that. Um, we've got to do predictions very quickly for Chorley then. Luke, scoreline for Chorley. 2-0 Chorley. <laughs> <laughs> At least there's a clean sheet somewhere then. <laughs> that will beat them. We will beat Chorley, but it's pointless. We might as well let It's Chorley not pointless. Of course it is. By no. the time we get somebody off decent, we'll lose anyway. So we'll get Southampton or Arsenal in the fifth round and they'll beat us 2-1. Well, you have said he can redeem himself if he wins the FA Cup. He's got to. He's got to win it. <laughs> He's got to win the FA Cup. Or at least get to the is, is, it, is it that strange? I mean, we've got Southampton. Hopefully, we get Shrewsbury in the next round then, please. <laughs> no, it could be Arsenal. They've still got to play Arsenal. <laughs> Rich, what, what, what do you think for Chorley? 2 0 Wolves. Give it nice and short and sweet, but 2 0. I think we'll, we'll do what needs to be done. It won't be necessarily pretty, but. I was going to say points on the board in a cup game. So, yeah. Gully. 3 0. 3 0 Wolves. There we go. <laughs> for, the, for those just um, listening on an audio format, I'm smiling because Luke is, is laughing and I, I don't know if he's, he's, he's thinking we're going crazy. Full predicting that we've been in seven for the last two seasons. We are playing Chorley and we may think that we may actually beat them Luke this is possible it's not you know this isn't an outlandish statement that Gully's just said 3-0 it's just absolutely mental (laughs) (laughs) I can't I can't well I'm going to go 4 now imagine right can we all just take a moment no Surely, cut him off someone cut him off you're on mute (laughs) Well, we'll be, you'll be going on Insta Live to talk about it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm definitely, leaving you on, I'm definitely leaving you on your own on that one. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be you and some bloke from Chorley on there. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be two of you. In his flat cap. Yeah, I was going to say, have they got white from Chorley? How many stereotypes can we do for Chorley? <laughs> Um, Just put a tweet out. Any any Chorley content creators out there? Yeah, <laughs> want to come on the pod? <laughs> well, ask, if you are listening, uh, any Chorley fans at WWFC Fancast, um, DMs are open. We'll we'll be happy to uh, do anything, really. And and and, and Gully's volunteered as well to do a big analysis on Chorley and their game against that team. Someone Celtic, Boston that... Celtic. Yeah, any 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 stats, anything you know, graphics. You, you can Deep send dive. them my way. 
absolutely more than happy to. Well, we're going to hopefully be decide from the, the lower regions of the Pyramid on Friday, and we'll be talking about that post, that game. So we're going to wrap up now, just very quickly in closing, thank you to everyone who continues to support what we do. We've got so much out there. We've got Gully and his GTA analysis, Luke doing the Insta, Richard has loads of work online as well, loads of content out there. For me, this is going to be my last one, probably for some time as I'm heading off onto a new job. Um, but it's been a pleasure. So thanks to everybody who continues to support the fancast. And I know I'll be continuing to support what you guys do going forward. So from all of us, we'll see you soon. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers USBP. That's cbp.gov careers USBP. It takes years to build a business that sustains a family and is worth passing on. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work closely with clients to provide the financing, cash management, and deposit products necessary to grow a business. So your life's work will continue to prosper once it's in someone else's hands. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your business. Visit sandyspringbank.com business. Credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank.